Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Good evening and welcome to Marriage Radio. Perhaps you've been to a marriage counselor because there's some kind of difficulty in your marriage and rather than working, it actually did more harm than good. Oh, I believe that good marriage counselors are worth their weight in gold. Please don't misunderstand. And we love working with good counselors. As a matter of fact, sometimes they refer couples to us and we will refer couples back to them. So don't hear this as a, a condemnation of marriage counseling, but... At the same time, we have heard from so many people who have been to counselors where things turned out badly. One person told us, for example, our counselor said that in her estimation, we should separate for nine months. And during those nine months, we would each see her individually. And when she was ready, oh, I take that back. Let me say it differently. When she felt we were ready, she would tell us when to get back together. Call it controlled separation. I listened to that and thought, Isn't that rather arrogant on the part of the counselor to think that she can coach each of you, counsel each of you, listen to each of you for those nine months and then decide when you're ready to get back together? It seems to give her a lot of authority. We heard from another that as soon as they went to see the counselor in their first session, the husband said, I don't want to be in this marriage. And the counselor turned and looked at her and said, well, if he doesn't want to be in the marriage, there's nothing I can do to help you for the marriage. So maybe I can just help you guys figure out how to have a divorce that's amicable and doesn't cause a whole lot of damage, etc., etc." We hear these stories. He even heard about one counselor that because of the fact that she really didn't like men, actually nearly every woman that went to her for marriage counseling wound up divorcing with the idea that her husband was somehow an evil, terrible man. In other words, it appeared that the counselor was pushing that view onto her clients and somehow, in some way, apparently, punishing her husband by punishing the other husbands of her clients. Now, I don't know that for sure. I'm just saying what it sounds like. But if you understand the points I'm talking about, marriage counseling can be wonderful if you're with a wonderful counselor. It can be extremely difficult. As a matter of fact, it can even do more harm than good if it's with one that's not very good. I have with us tonight on the program, Kimberly Holmes. She is the executive director, chief executive officer of Marriage Helper, the 501c3 nonprofit that helps marriages, particularly those marriages in crisis. Kimberly also has her master's degree in psychology. She actually started her master's in marriage and family therapy, went a long way in that, including doing many, many, many hours of counseling couples until she came to the realization that's not quite the way she wanted to do things. Kimberly, when a person goes to a marriage counselor, how does that, how does that work? As many people on have, that are probably listening, they know how it kind of starts. You go, and the very first session you have, you're going to be filling out a lot of paperwork, and you're going to be answering some questions that the counselor has. And basically, in the training that therapists and counselors get, that's what's called the intake time. So during that first session, during that time is when the counselor, the therapist really wants to get to know you, wants to get to know the situation that you are dealing with and wants to know what you specifically are wanting out of that situation. So when you're working with individual therapists, meaning the type of therapists that focus on individuals as the client, as opposed to a systems-based therapist as the client. And, and before I get into that, what that means is some counselors, typically licensed professional counselors, what are known as LPCs, in their training, they are taught to deal with individuals. They don't really see couples. That's not what they're trained in. They're just trained in helping an individual. Whereas what is called systems therapist, these are more of the marriage and family therapist, and they are taught on how to deal with families, couples, relationships, and they are taught to view the relationship or the family unit or whatever that is as the client as opposed to the individual. Now, where this kind of breaks down is that therapists in their agreements and their HIPAA agreements and their ethical codes that they have to follow, 
they are not allowed to impose their own viewpoints or their own thoughts on a client. So the things that Joe was talking about earlier, there are definitely biases that therapists and counselors have, and they can instill these in the kinds of questions that they ask their clients in the things that they lead their clients to believe or lead their clients to think might be happening in their relationship. But as an overall thought process, counselors and therapists aren't supposed to say, I think that you should save your marriage. They're not supposed to do that, but many of them do. So really, if you're looking for a counselor, you're looking for someone who can, well, actually want to save your marriage. And right now, I understand about being careful about how you share your beliefs and values. I, we are careful. We don't tell people what to do. And yet at the same time, we feel free based on how we operate to tell people we suggest this and we suggest that. Are you saying that a counselor by the ethical code of most states can't even do that? That's really where it gets pretty hazy because there's a lot of laws right now that are going around with that. Um, For a while, for example, this doesn't have to relate with marriage per se, but for a while it was where if you had a client who identified as homosexual, you could not give, even if they wanted to change, if, if they did not want to be homosexual anymore and they wanted to go through what is called reparative therapy, it is actually illegal to do that. You couldn't do that. I don't know how the laws have changed in that kind of sense now, but there's laws just like it's very political. I mean, when it all boils down to it, counseling and therapy has politics behind it. There's legislation behind it. There are laws behind it. And there are things that people have to abide by and things that people can and cannot do that just like the laws in America right now, some people, it goes against some of their religious beliefs and it goes against some of their personal beliefs. So if I go to a person who identifies himself or herself as a Christian counselor, if they are licensed by the state, they may be limited in what they can do just because of what the state requires from them when it comes to me wanting them to help my marriage. That That is correct. Now, another thing, so we don't just spend too much time on this because I know we've talked about it a lot before, but another thing that happens when you go into marriage counseling. So many times people when they are experiencing a marriage in crisis, the first thing that they think to do is I've got to get my spouse with me in a counselor's office because the counselor can change my spouse. So first of all, people go into counseling with that kind of mindset that it's the last ditch effort. It's the only thing that can work, that it's their only hope. And so they go into it with all of this anxiety, with all of this hope, with all of this fear. And here is what typically happens. So if you're dragging a spouse who doesn't want to save the marriage into a counseling room, when you sit down with your spouse, there's something that's going to happen in the eyes of the therapist, and there's something that happens in the eyes of the spouse that doesn't want to be there. In the eyes of the therapist, as soon as the therapist hears that one of you does not want to save the marriage, the counselor is torn because as under the code that they follow, they have to abide by the goal of what each of them want from therapy. So if both of the people want to save the marriage, great. They have a goal. The counselor can work with them. If both, if one of them wants to save the marriage and one of them doesn't want to save the marriage, that's when the counselor has to start dividing up their time. They'd have to spend one session with one of the spouses, one session with the other spouse, and they would have to look at the relationship and see if they believe that they can help that relationship move forward. If they feel like they cannot, the marriage counselor ethically is supposed to say that they believe that they cannot help you. What happens then is that the person who wants out of the marriage will hear, see, it can't be saved. The person who wanted to save the marriage thinks, well, that was our last chance. So that's one thing that happens. But something else crazy happens when you go into a counselor's office and you're the spouse who wants to save the marriage with the spouse who doesn't want to save the marriage. The spouse who doesn't want to save the marriage is going to be very defensive. Put yourself in their shoes. When you're put into a situation where you're completely against it, you're dragging your feet, and you're only doing it to appease another person, you don't want to be there. You're more defensive. 
you anything like that. Think of a child when you try to get your child to go to church and they don't want to. They're not enjoying it. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you shouldn't make your child go to church. That's not the point. But just think of it in that sense. When people are forced to do things they don't want to do, they're not going to get a lot out of it. And so the spouse who's sitting there is thinking, I don't want to do this. I'm going to be defensive. And everything that counselor says, the spouse who wants out of the marriage is just retaliating back. It doesn't work very well because of the way that marriage counseling is set up. Marriage counseling is best for people who are on the path to reconciliation, for people who are wanting together to work towards repairing their marriage. Marriage counseling is not effective. It does not work for people who are wanting, where one of them is wanting to split up. And Joe kind of looked at me saying, I, that was a pretty bold statement. I can't believe you said that. But it's true. What have counselors have told you? Well, what I'm thinking is not that. What I'm thinking is this. People often come to our workshop for marriages in crisis, and they all say the exact same things to us. My spouse doesn't want to come. Therefore, this is not going to work. But our process is completely different than counseling. And so why? Why would it be? Why is our process completely different? I know why our process is different. I'm saying, why would it be different that what you just said was marriage counseling is best for those couples where mm -hmm. they both want to solve the, uh, save the marriage and mm -hmm. are in the process of reconciliation. I don't disagree with that statement. Mm -hmm. but, but why would it be that somebody would listen to us and go, well, you guys are just dissing counselors, so we'll come to you first. So our, as I, as I said before, when... You, when you're in a place where there's one person talking to you and you as the couple, it, it's, there's a lot of walls that can go up and it's very hard to make a lot of progress, if any, especially when one person doesn't want to be there. What's so different about the way that we do things with our workshop is that it's not one-on-one. -on -one. And people call us and they say, so do I get one-on-one -on -one sessions? Do you have counselors there? No, because it actually would make us less effective. And that's what's hard to understand because people have it in their mind because of years of marketing in the counseling world that counseling is the end all be all. It's not. I'm not saying our workshop is the end all be all, but when it comes to saving your marriage, it's the absolute best thing out there. So, and the reason is because we do large group sessions. We do educational type sessions, and then we have parts of our workshop that are breakouts. Now in the educational sessions we have, we're talking to you as a group. And so when people are being talked to as a group, think about it like your pastor at church, if you're a Christian. So when the pastor is speaking from the pulpit and they're talking about sin, but they're talking about sin in general with everyone in there, they're not pointing you out specifically. They're just talking about it in terms of the world at large. When you hear that, you process it differently than you would if someone was pointing at you and saying, you are doing this. You would, you're not as defensive. You don't have those walls up. But it gets to you in a way that being one-on-one -on -one wouldn't get to you because you think, oh, he's not talking to me. He's talking to that person over there. But then the more you get into the, into the lesson, the more you get to know about it, the more it hits you at home. Your walls have start to come down without you even realizing it, and you start realizing, no, that is me, but you haven't been defensive about it. In fact, you are more likely to feel respected. You're more likely to feel like the person understands you. And we do that exact same process, that exact same way of doing things in our workshop. We start talking about people in general. We don't talk about one person or one couple. We talk about things that affect all people. Mm -hmm. And what it makes it sound like what you're saying is, all counselors are bad. Don't go to counselors. We're better. That's what it makes it sound like you're saying. And I know you don't believe that. And it also makes it sound like you're saying, if someone's listening, saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm the reluctant spouse. So you just are telling me that you've got a way to manipulate me that counselors don't have. Mm. I'm sorry if I come across that way. <laughs> no, not at all. So we do believe that good counselors are worth their weight in gold. Trust me with this. Uh, about 20% of the people who come to our workshops come because counselors send them good counselors. And we very happy to send people back to their own counselors, of course. Mm -hmm. And when they don't have counselors to recommend counselors, if we know counselors in their area. So please don't think that we're against marriage counselors or therapists. We are not. We're saying that there are some limitations that some of them have. 
If you are going to find a marriage counselor, I suggest you do the following. Interview him or her by phone. Ask questions like, what is your philosophy? How do you approach things? How often do you recommend separation and under what cases? How often do you recommend divorce and under what situations do you do that? Because you can get an idea as to the principles by which he or she works with that interview. Now, you need to ask these questions concisely. You can get a telephone interview for 10 to 15 minutes. You're not going to get much more than that unless you book a session and go in. But these would be the interviews that you can have up front to find out if this counselor has a viewpoint that is going to be advantageous to you. And so you can ask, okay, if what if my spouse says he or she doesn't want to be married, but you understand that we're coming because I'm hoping that the two of us can figure out how to save the marriage. How would you deal with that? And just by asking those questions very briefly, sometimes we even suggest asking, will you see us? as the individuals being your client, or will you see the marriage as being your client? Sometimes counselors will respond, I don't know what you mean by that. Others will say, okay, I understand what you're saying. You're coming because you want to save the marriage. So if you ask those questions up front, you'll have a whole lot better situation. Now, I do agree with Kimberly that it works a whole lot better if you're both already decided that you want to reconcile. And I think that's why many counselors really do refer people to us and they do come to the workshop because the counselors are doing a great job. They're doing an awesome job, Mm -hmm. but somebody needs to have this, these three days of of making a decision whether it's going to turn around or not. Mm -hmm. And so please, if you are a marriage counselor, understand we're on your side. We are not on the side of the marriage counselors that just tell people, well, if you want a divorce, let me help you figure out how to do that. Obviously it's not, your ability to save a marriage if the couple refuses or if either of them refuses. But we're looking for people who are pro-marriage and fight for marriage. Now, if you're listening as a person saying, wait a minute, you just made it sound like that uh, I would be defensive with a counselor, but if I come to your workshop, you're going to work past my defenses and I feel like I'm being manipulated. Understand this. All Kimberly is saying by that is that it can be very defensive when you feel that somebody's talking directly about you and your situation. Okay. We teach principles and we treat everybody in our workshops with absolute respect and dignity. We will not in any shape, fashion or form manipulate anybody ever. It's just easier to absorb the information in a group and to make decisions. Plus, because of the fact that we're educators and are not limited by the ethical considerations, we do have ethics. Don't misunderstand that. But the ones that are placed upon the license, okay, the, the American Psychological Association or State Licensing Board, we don't have to meet their standards. We do live by strong ethical standards. But we can do things such as teach. Like, okay, if you make this decision, this is likely what will happen. These are, are the potential paths forward. If you make that decision, this, uh, these are potential paths forward. In other words, we don't manipulate you, try to twist your arm, try to sneak around anything. We're very upfront about everything that we do. But we give you a lot of information with which to make your decision about whether you will stay in the marriage or not. That's why we have such an extremely high success rate. It's because of the fact that we don't manipulate people. We don't twist their arms, but we can teach in a way that maybe some of the counselors can't because of what's going on in their own state or own licensing group about what they can and can't do. We can teach, but we never force. We never say, this is what you have to do. And by that teaching and through three days, you can imagine spending three days from 8 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. on Friday, the same on Saturday, almost that long on Sunday, how much information we can cover. Plus, we have a lot of discussion that goes on between the people in the groups and us and the people in the group with each other so that we all learn. So it's not in any way designed to sneak things past you. It's in a way where you can hear it, truly, truly hear it, and a lot of information. That's right. And and one of the other things, and this goes back to knowing good marriage counselors. Absolutely, we love good marriage counselors. Good marriage counselors, along with people like us, we know where our limitations are. And we don't try to work people into our system the way that we do things just because we want them as a client. We're, we're not going to do that. If we believe that someone is not a good fit to our workshop, 
which does not happen often, but when it does, we're not going to try and get them there. Same with people who are good marriage counselors. They know where their strengths are. They know the types of situations that they work best with, and they really do have the person's best interest in mind. And so those are the things that you want to consider when you're looking for a good, good marriage counselor. Are they just going to try and continue seeing me because they want to keep me as a client, even though they're not skilled in the area that I need them to be skilled in? The ones that, that we partner well with are the ones who they know that this is a weakness of theirs, of getting couples past an affair or past uh, really difficult situations, and we send them right back to them. We, it's like we play ping pong. <laughs> Maybe the word weakness is a little strong. Not their weakness, but an area where they're not particularly adept or because of the fact that because of what's going on. Now, to go back to what Kimberly said earlier. You see, when people start talking about their problems, they sometimes get so focused on talking about the problem with an individual that that they just don't see the bigger picture. Now, of course, again, we're four counselors who are good, so don't misunderstand that. But when you start saying, what's the difference like a three-day turnaround workshop, such as the ones you guys do, and traditional counseling, is that there will be a group. And sometimes you actually get more ahas when you're not saying, but how does it apply to this very specific situation and that very specific situation? Because of the fact that the bigger picture, learning that principle sometimes makes everything just clearer. Like, oh, oh, rather than getting hung up on one little thing or one pain, and I said little thing, it could be one big thing. We're now seeing the bigger picture, how it all works together. And so a workshop where you have a lot of couples in the room, we can do things that counselors cannot in that environment and they can do things in that environment that we cannot do in the workshop, right? which is why we love to send people mm -hmm. back to marriage counselors who then can take them from that point and work with them individually to learn how to apply what they've learned and to reconcile and make things good. Mm -hmm. That's right. So Joe, but there's many people out there who are thinking I either live in Singapore or I can't get my spouse to agree to go to a workshop. So why do you keep talking about that? The good news is, just as Joe was, Joe was saying, there are principles that even if marriage counseling doesn't work, even if you cannot get to the workshop, that doesn't mean that all hope is lost. Because there are principles, there are ways to implement these principles that can still save your marriage. We offer things, and, and forgive it if this sounds like a commercial, I don't mean for it to, it's just I think it fits based on what Kimberly just said. So forgive me if it sounds like a commercial. It's what we really want to do to help. We have people contact us all the time who say, my spouse is not ready either to go to counseling or not ready to come to your workshop, just not ready to do anything. What can I do? And so we do. We do have an online course that you can take if you're in Singapore. As a matter of fact, I think we've got people in Singapore right now who are taking it. Yeah. Since you mentioned Singapore, I know there are people in Sweden. There are people in Australia. There are people all over the world taking this course. If you want to find out about it, it's uh, if you go to www.marriagehelper, marriagehelper, like marriage helper, marriagehelper.com slash save my marriage. It's all one long word, save my marriage. You can find out about that there. And that's for the people who can't get to our workshops or whose spouses aren't ready right now for counseling or for our workshop or whatever else. It's a 10-week course that will guide you through you doing the best things you can. And we often say about it, if anything works, this will. If anything works, this will. Now, if you're asking, okay, but what about that workshop you just guys just mentioned? Can you tell us briefly about that? The workshop that we have is that intense three-day turnaround workshop. And Next year, starting in 2017, we're going to have all of them in Nashville, Tennessee, because people love coming to Nashville. We've um, that we've in this blah, 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 this month we're doing one in Texas. Next month we'll be doing one in Texas, but from then on out we'll be doing them in Tex uh, Tennessee. But you can find out more about that at MarriageHelper.com/slash/save-marriage, and that's how you can find out more about that three-day workshop. Okay. And in those intense three days workshop, a lot of great things are covered. Amazing information that you need so that even people who do not wind up saving their marriages tell us it's the best thing they've ever done. Like 99% of people said they'd recommend it 
mm-hmm. even if their marriage didn't make it. Yeah. And another thing to remember when you've gone to a marriage counselor and perhaps the counselor or maybe you've gone to a pastor and perhaps your pastor has said that they believe that there's no hope for your marriage. The marriage counselor and even the pastor are not the final decision makers in your life. You are the final decision maker in your life. Even if your spouse has filed for divorce and you feel like there's no way to stop it, there might not be a way to stop it. I I can't speak to the legal process of how divorce works, but I do know that internally, the decisions that you make, you decide personally when you give up on a marriage. And you don't do it because a counselor tells you to. You don't do it because a pastor tells you to. You do it because of you. So if you want to keep fighting, if you believe you should keep fighting, then keep fighting. We're going to be here for you. We believe in hope at every step of the way. We believe people can change, and we believe that you can still save your marriage even if it seems impossible. And it often will appear impossible, and sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes it will wind up ending in divorce and other people and, and your spouse maybe even marrying somebody else. That does happen. We love seeing it work out and by the grace of God have been able to help thousands. I mean, thousands of people work it out, salvage their marriages, put it back together and be good again. So as Kimberly said, and I want to reiterate that if it seems hopeless, it doesn't necessarily mean it is, you know, there's an old adage. It says it's the darkest before the dawn. That doesn't help much to hear that because you say, wow, I'm in pain. Don't give me adages. Don't give me little quips, but sometimes Sometimes if you just know what to do and then can have a community of people that can help you hang on as you do those things, because most people in your world will tell you not to. They'll say, go ahead, get out of this, divorce, move on, do your thing. It's great to have a community of people, and we have a large community of people, thousands of people actually, a large community of people associated with us that can be your encouragement to hang on as you do the things you need to do that if anything works this will work. That's right. Absolutely. We, and we offer things like this podcast. You can go back and listen to many different topics that we've talked about. We offer things like we have webinars every once in a while, more than every once in a while, but we do webinars. We have articles. We want to give you the things that you can use and you can take and start applying them now until you're ready to take that next step with us, until you're ready to join the Save My Marriage course, or until you're ready to be able to come to a workshop. We don't want to leave anyone stranded. Like the army says, no man left behind. Or is it the school that says no kid left behind? (laughs) It's the Marines, I think. We're not leaving (laughs) you behind. (laughs) Okay. And so there are many free resources on marriagehelper.com. Marriagehelper, marriagehelper.com, manual free resources. On iTunes, if you subscribe free to Marriage Radio, many free resources there. On Marriage Helper, not just articles, but also there are podcasts on there. There are also ebooks on there. We want to do everything we can to help you. That's right. All right. We'll go ahead and start taking some callers. First is area code 712. Yes, that would be Sioux City, Iowa. <laughs> Hello, Sioux City. You're on Hello. The How are you? I'm, I'm okay. Um, <laughs> I know. So you pretty much answered my question about about marriage counselors, which I is kind of more of a reiteration for me, I think. But um, I do have some other questions. Um, I actually called a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, my my husband and I went to um, the workshop um, mm-hmm. a little over a month ago now. Um, mm-hmm. um, he was teetering on not knowing what he wanted to do. Um, he mm-hmm. has since said that he's broken it off uh, with the other woman. Mm-hmm. And um, he's also told me he wants a divorce. Okay. And um, he says the workshop, he feels like the workshop helped him, helped him a lot. He's... Um, has all these plans of like ways he can better himself. Like he wants to go back to school. He wants to, um, just person he says, mm-hmm. but he's still, uh, still seemingly living in sin. Um, he's, 
I say that because, like I said, he says he's bro- he's broken it off with the other woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, he at some point um, went on a dating website and is now speaking to other other women. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of asked him about it. He he recognized, or he told me that he deleted the the dating website application from his phone because he recognizes that it's not healthy for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's already talking to women from the site. Yeah. Or at I'm least so, one. So I don't sorry. know. One or several. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm um, so very sorry to hear that. I hear the pain in your voice, and I'm so very sorry. I wish I wish that we had 100% success. Of course, that that doesn't happen. The fact that he did break it off of that woman and the fact that he's now pursuing other women is kind of an interesting thing. Do you know if he broke it off with her or she, or if in actuality it's more likely that she broke it off with him? I don't know. I know that she has a boyfriend that she may or may not still be with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I didn't even realize that they weren't that they weren't still talking. I mean, it was like, right. Sometimes when a person, a couple days. Mm-hmm. sometimes when a person ends uh, that kind of relationship, the person has, and we, we talked about this some before, sometimes uh, that person like your husband, for example, may have so vilified you to make it acceptable for him to do what he was doing. That when that ends with that other person, he still won't come back to you at least at this point. All those years ago when I left Alice, I had so vilified her. I had um, focused so much on all the bad things that had happened between us and had rewritten history about any of the good things that when my limerent relationship with the other person ended, rather than coming back to Alice, I went out and lived a pretty godless lifestyle for a while. And that's a bad thing. I mean, it's terrible. And I know it hurts you. It's hurting him as well, whether he realizes it or not. What we hope and pray for is this in a situation like that. That is that at some point he hits a bottom. What I mean by that is that things become so painful for him and what he's doing that he finally just can't live that way anymore. And of course, what we, if, if, if you still would be willing to accept him back at that point, then what you do now is that you continue to be the best you you can be so that when he does come to his senses, he'll realize that being with you is the best thing that could possibly happen to him. Now you do understand that if he pursues the path he's pursuing now, you may, you may just finally say, that's it. I don't want him back. He's, he's done all these things that really becomes your decision, your decision. Okay. Um, yep. So I have one more question real quick. Um, he is basically, Yesterday, when he approached the topic of divorce, he basically asked if he could live at home while we were divorcing, or what what needed to take place, what he had to move out. But his his goal, like he wants to stay at home. He would like to stay at home. He says he likes being with our children. That's something that when he was with the other woman, he didn't spend hardly any time with them, and he recognizes that that was wrong. Do you? What do you recommend at this point? Do I still try to keep him in the home, or do? I mean, what? Okay, well, let me give you two things to think about with that. And as you already know, because you came to our workshop, we don't tell people what to do. We just give yep, suggestions and ideas. All right, a couple of things to think about here. If if he is amicable, what I mean is he's friendly, he's talking, he's open, and if living at home creates opportunities for you guys to actually truly communicate, it may not be the greatest communication in the world outset, at the outset, but if it, you know, if it becomes that then his living at home actually creates the possibility that you can reconcile. At the same time, his living at home doesn't make him have to face the consequences of his decision. In other words, he's still there, you know, eating the food you cook, sleeping in the house where you are, being with his children where he wants to be. He's not hitting bottom. He's not hitting bottom that way. Exactly. And so it, it has to be your decision as to whether, okay, do I let him live here for a while so maybe we have some conversations that turns him around or do I think right now what I need to do is go ahead and make him hit bottom. Now here's a couple of things to think about in that conversation or in that decision. One is your own mental, emotional, and spiritual health. If his living there is going to be tearing you apart, then don't do it. The other is which way he's moving. 
I had to mute that because apparently you've got, you got some wind coming into your microphone there. Okay, the other would be if his living there makes it so convenient for him that he continues to move away from you emotionally. In other words, talking to women from that website you talked about and those kinds of things, then then maybe that's when you say, Mm-mm, no more. I can't make it convenient and easy for you. So let me repeat that because that wind kind of came in and kind of got me off my topic there. If you can come, if you spiritually, mentally, morally, emotionally can deal with it and want to leave him there for a while to see if it opens some doors, that's okay. If you can't, then go ahead and make him leave. If, on the other hand, you do decide he can stay there for a while, but but you see that it's just helping him do other things that they should that he shouldn't be doing, then I'd recommend again that you don't let him live there. So those are the criteria I would suggest you use in making that decision. Okay. Okay. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I wish I wish I had a magic wand. If I did, I promise you I would use it for you. I really appreciate it, Joe. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Oh, and Kimberly, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Let, let me come back to you. Let me come back. Okay, what were you saying? Okay, thank you. All right. I'm sorry I was already going to another caller. I didn't mean to be rude and cut her off there. No, that's good. I would just say the fight's not over. There's been many times where... A year later, you know, sometimes even more than that, but I don't want to be (laughs) too discouraging. But people who their spouses had filed for divorce or they were in the process of divorce or they even divorced, it's not uncommon at all for us to get an email or a phone call and say, we're back together. We made it work. We like it when it happens at the workshop. I mean, sometimes it does. It turns around right there. We've had people tear up divorce papers before they leave the workshop. We love that. We do. Sometimes, though, it takes weeks, sometimes months. Actually, in the workshop we just finished this past weekend, we had a couple that had come a year ago Mm -hmm. who told us, he said, we came a year ago, but it took almost a year. All that stuff that you guys taught us kept working on me, but it took a year to get into me. Mm -hmm. And now it has. And now we're trying to save the marriage. And they came back to come to the workshop a second time to get it all. And not only were they getting great things from it, they were helping other couples in the workshop. Yeah. So for him, it took about a year. We hope that doesn't happen for you, but you're right, Kimberly, sometimes that can happen. And now we're going to go to El Paso, area code 915. Hi, Joe. Hi, how are you? I am good, sir. How about yourself? Rocking and bopping. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Hey, um, I'm going to get right to the point so we can hopefully get someone else on the line. Um, You know my situation. You know my wife and I. And we were at the workshop in late January, early February. Okay, here's my question. Just right to it. Uh, She's not at home with me, and she has her own apartment. Uh, Are there any boundaries I can set? I know that if she does decide to reconcile, there's a lot of boundaries that I could put in, you know, um, Mm -hmm. one phone line or... Uh, you can't go to that gym anymore or, you know, certain mm-hmm. things that, you know, like cannot happen. But if she's not living with me, mm-hmm. my first question is, what can, uh, is through your experience, are there any boundaries that you've seen people that were successful in putting in place when their spouse was away? It's much more difficult. And yes, I know, I, I recognize your voice. So I know who you are, but I, I, help me remember this. Do you have children? We mm-hmm. have three children. Yes. Are they living with her or with you? Well, it feels like they live with me, but uh, they 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 stay the night with her. Okay. They they, they live with her, I guess, and they, they live with me. We spend a lot of time. We both co-parent together. Mm-hmm. They, she takes them to school. I pick them up, and I do homework mm-hmm. with them, and then she picks them up at night, things like that. Right. Because of the fact that they're in that situation, I would recommend you not consider boundaries concerning the children for the children's sake. The only boundaries I can possibly think of that might work and, and it might also backfire against you. So think about it very seriously would be financial boundaries. Like, you know, you've got X until X to make a decision about what you're going to do. And if you, if you decide you don't want to come back, that's when I'm going to proceed with an attorney and do the things I need to do. And therefore there's going to be some financial repercussions to us both, but it's not going to be as convenient and easy as now. I know you don't want to do that. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that you do that. But when a person when a person is in a situation that she's in, 
where that she has vacillated quite a bit, as I recall. Isn't that right? Well, that's the thing. She was she was vacillating towards me at times throughout this nine month affair so far. Mm-hmm. And let me give you a specific. The last one, luckily, we uh, I know when Jeff King was working with you, that guy is so awesome. She reached out to him, and she asked me. She goes, "Do you have his number?" And I said, "Yeah." She goes, "I need to talk to him." And when she talked to him the next day, Joe, she came to the house. I was on the bed. She came to the house. She says, hey, you know what? I just want to let you know. This is about uh, three months ago. Um, I pick you. I pick our family in person. Uh-huh. And this is the same thing she told me right after the workshop on the, on the uh-huh. plane ride home from Dallas to El Paso. She said, hey, you know what? Like, I need to end this affair. I, the decision point, she said, I pick you. But she went right back into it. So in about in July, she cried her eyes out in, my, in the backyard and said, I, I really miss you. And, and in early August, I hate to say this, but she had like a, an attempt at suicide. Where she, I didn't think it was. And then when I found out that it was, she, she cut her arm. And then she later downplayed it and said, I was just cutting myself as a way of like dealing with the pain. Mm-hmm. But it seems like lately... They like the last three weeks she's moved away from me emotionally. You know, I'm not sure if she'll vacillate back, but today was the first day in three weeks, Joe, that I got Hi, how are you? How are you doing? Good morning. And it's a simple conversation. Other than that, it's just been very professional. It seems like things are going really well on that side and I'm kinda yeah. like, Well, that's what was keeping me there was this good communication and now if I don't even have that I don't know. Do I need to, you mentioned that last week. You said, if you feel like they are moving, distancing themselves away from you, you have to end the Valley then. But I don't know how to end that. How do I do that? Right. The only way you could end that is to start proceedings. You know, you get an attorney and and you tell him uh, or tell her, actually, I would probably suggest a female attorney in your situation. And, and, Tell her, okay, I, I want to make it as difficult as possible. Not from vengeance. I love her. It's not from vengeance. I just want the full consequences of these decisions to be brought to bear and then have your attorney be your gladiator. That's the only other thing that I know of that you can do now other than what you're doing. Do I recommend that people go do that? You know, it's obviously a last effort. And you understand that when you do that, it may well end in divorce. So you never threaten divorce trying to get a person to come back. You, you talk about divorce because you're saying, I can't tolerate this behavior anymore. Hopefully, hopefully that would bring a person to her senses and, and she would look around. But you understand the very fact that you start that may well mean it ends in divorce. But if you're, right. saying, if you're saying, what else can I do? The only next thing I know to do, based on the fact that she's already living someplace else, that it seems that she's vacillating a whole lot less now and becoming more comfortable with that other lifestyle. Right. I don't, I don't know anything else to do but that if you feel like you need to do something. I mean, other than prayer, that's, that's my biggest hope. I speak a lot of positive things to myself, and that podcast Kimberly did really helped a lot. But, you know, Joe, I, I'm wondering if that – podcast we did with Petra where she said letting go and moving on is not the same as giving up that's mm-hmm. correct and I'm wondering if, if that's the way to go but I don't know how I to know do it's that. I mean I know how to do it but it's just oh it's so hard oh, there's uh, so many flaws in this relationship of hers and this other woman I was like man this is yeah and I know you love her I way. know you love her and you have fought oh, so super. hard I know you love her, and, and you have fought so hard. My heart breaks for you. It really does. Let me ask a question or two. Uh, maybe, uh, I guess, because we have other callers waiting, rather than doing a question, I'm going to make a suggestion. If, yes, you have not, if you have not yet done so, and you maybe have already been doing it, I suggest you put into your prayer life some of the Psalms. Go back and read the Psalms. And look how David would, would pray about his enemies. Now, so therefore, David, the man after God's own heart, there might be some of the prayers of the Psalms that you need to pray about this other person and to pray about your wife's relationship with this other person, not out of vengeance or anger. I mean, we don't want you to get a bad heart out of this, but asking God, will you do something to mess that up? 
And, you know, would you put obstacles and barriers and bad situations in that to ruin that relationship? That's how I would pray. And if you're not praying like that, I suggest you consider it. Joe, I do that every day, actually. And I actually spoke to this woman in person and I thanked her for being good to my kids and being nice to them. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree with what they were doing, but I understood how they both felt about each other. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, but I said, you know, I'm, I wish the best for you, but you know, I am going to fight for my wife, but I'm just going to fight through prayer and, and hoping mm-hmm. that she does the right thing. And well, she didn't mm-hmm. respond very well, but she wasn't mean back, but she just kind of like, listened. Yeah. Well, here's the one thing I know about you, my friend. I know your heart. I know how much you have fought so hard. I know how much you pray. I know how faithful you are. I hope and pray. I do hope and pray she comes back. I remember your wife. I liked your wife. And and I don't see her as an evil person. But I know this about you because of your faithfulness. If If she doesn't come back, and I haven't given up hope on that at all, but if she doesn't come back, I'm telling you that God's going to bless you, my friend, mm-hmm. because of how strong and faithful you have been. I know you're not perfect, but know this blessing, some kind of blessing is coming a big blessing. I hope it's her, but I know, that God, I know that God rewards this level of faithfulness. Trust me. He does. Yep. Thank okay, you. That was really, thank you. That was good. To okay. hear. Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. Right. It's good God, to hear from God you. I'll be with you. And now that's, he is such, he is such a good guy. Kimberly. He's, I know he's so good. I really think very highly of him and, and talk about impressive. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. We're going to go to Virginia and take a call from there. Area code five, four, zero. Hi, Dr. Joe. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. How can we help you this evening? Um, in late July, my husband told me that he didn't love me anymore and wanted a divorce. And I now know that he, was or maybe still is in limerence. Um, I had asked him twice. You know, there were a lot of red flags, and in hindsight, I was definitely accusatory. And so, of course, he got angry and defensive. And and since then, I've found something, accidentally found something that has told me for sure that he's in limerence. Um, and I definitely see him. He's been vacillating. Um, but I'm at the point where I can't, I do need to let him know what I found and, and just get it out in the open. Um, and so I just was, my question is if you have any suggestions for that, that conversation, um, with him. Okay. So I'm going to make sure I heard what you said. Okay. You, mm-hmm. you have the information, but he does not yet know you have the information. Is that correct? Right. It, right. Okay. If I may ask, and you don't, I don't need details, just kind of a general, how did you find out? How did you get this information? I was on our home computer and I was trying to pull up a word document, trying to find a word document I'd opened recently. And I found one and I had an interesting file name and I was like, what is this? And I opened it and it, it told me that, you know, he's in love with her basically. Okay. The reason I ask that is this, when, when people feel like that you have purposely uh, violated their privacy, in other words, if you had, if you had tapped his phone or hidden a GPS in his car or something like that, when, when people get confronted that way, rather than dealing with their behavior, they typically just throw a fit about their mm-hmm. privacy being violated. How dare you do this? How dare you do that? But what I'm hearing you say is that you discovered it accidentally. Is that yes. correct? Yeah. Okay. And that actually changes things some so that you can say the very thing you just said to me, I, I went looking for this document, couldn't find it, saw this file, didn't know what it was, opened it up and I have it. Now, if you mm-hmm. do that, if you do that, understand that the way you approach it is going to determine a great deal about how he's going to react to it. Okay. But he's already told you that he doesn't love you anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Has he said anything about wanting to leave? He early on he told me that he was looking at you know other places to move to you know rental houses, mm-hmm. um, but he never pursued that. 
Okay. Well, here's what I would suggest. Now, you know, think it through, make your own decision. I can't tell you what to do, but here's a suggestion. If it were I, I would do it like this. I would say, um, I need to tell you something that I, I feel. In other words, rather than this is what you did, do it in terms of this is what I feel. It'll help make him a little less defensive. I'm, I'm hurt because I found this. I found it accidentally. I wasn't looking for it. And, and obviously, as you would understand, it hurts me a great deal. Can we talk about it? And either he's going to say no and get angry and, and bluster and try to fight, or he's going to say, yes, let's talk about it. If he says, yes, let's talk about it, it can go one of two ways. One is it can actually be a good conversation that can actually help a lot in moving towards some possibility of reconciliation. The other is that you can talk about it, but he just becomes very angry, very uh, not angry so much as mean, saying bad things about you. It, mm-hmm. Have you read much about limerence on our website? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, then you know that he may wind up attacking you, vilifying you, saying all kinds of terrible things about you. I'm not saying he will, but that's a possibility. If he does, can you stay calm without fighting back? Yes, um, he's already done that. We've been to a few counseling sessions, and he's definitely attacked me there. Mm, I'm so sorry. um, Yeah, I I can remain calm. Right. Well, if it were I, I would just start like that. I, I found something accidentally. I'm very hurt. Here it is. Can we talk about it? That's how I would do it if it were I. Okay. What do you think about involving his pastor in that conversation? I wouldn't at the outset. Now, okay. if you really feel like, uh, is he close to his pastor? Not especially. Okay. Is he is he a very religious man? Before all this, I would have said yes, but he's definitely pulled away. All right. Then what value will there be then for involving the pastor? My thought was because I have brought the subject up with him before when I, you know, I didn't have you know, concrete evidence and he got angry and defensive. My thought was if I had somebody there who could sort of be that more objective voice well, I understand how you're thinking, and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. certainly not telling you not to do it, mm-hmm. but it's more likely for him to become defensive if, if he feels like he's being ambushed, I would think. Okay. Now, if, if, if he has a relationship with his pastor, then that could change everything completely, but you're saying he doesn't really have a relationship with him. No, not, not so much. Okay. One thing you might want to consider then before you decide how to do it, if you go to our website, Marriage Helper, marriagehelper.com, use that little search engine at the top and look for the word intervention. There mm-hmm. actually is an ebook there that's like 35, 40 pages long, something like that, that tells you how to do an intervention. And that will give you some idea about what would uh, need to happen if you involved somebody like your pastor. By the way, even before you confront them, even if you do it on your own, that's going to help you understand some things about how to do it. So I would recommend you go read that little ebook uh, before you confront him, no matter what, whether it's just you or you and your pastor. Okay. Okay. I'm so, so sorry for your pain, my friend. Uh, I hope and pray it works out well for you. Thank you so much. Okay. You're welcome. There's so much pain out there. There's a lot of it, but there's also a lot of hope. You know, I guess that's what keeps us going in this thing is the fact that we hear so much pain and and it's tough. I mean, it's tough to be in a profession, if you'll allow me to use that way. I don't want to sound too businesslike. It's really a ministry, but where you hear so much pain, the only thing I think that keeps us going and going and going is knowing that a great number of these people actually do work it out when we can. I'm not making us sound like the uh, the be all end all, as you said earlier. But it's really very, very gratifying when we can help guide people through what to do, and it works for them. It's all about empowering the other people. There's, you know, if we think of it as a story, the hero of this story is not us. Marriage Helper is not the ones who puts these marriages back together. We're the guides. The heroes of this story are the people listening right now, the people who are fighting to save their marriage. 
they they're this hero they're they're a character in in their own story and they have a problem they want to save their marriage but they don't know how and so that's where we come in we're their guide and we teach them the plan that they can use to go into their life to go back to their marriage to go back to their spouse and implement this plan so that they can save their marriage and it it results in great success for them. For many, many of them. I mean, thousands so far throughout what we have done. Still breaks mm-hmm. my heart to hear the ones that it's not working right now. But you know what? Even those people, even though the ones where it doesn't work out, the ones who do the work, the ones who make themselves better, the ones who work on their pies, no matter what happens to them, just like with the caller from Texas, no matter what happens with them in their future, they're better for it. And their next relationship that they might have, they're better for it. And their relationship with their children, maybe in years from now when their spouse does finally come back around, they are better for it. That's a good way to look at it. And and knowing that gentleman in El Paso we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, yes, you're right. I think we have time for another caller here. Let's go to North Carolina. Hello, area code 919. Hello. Hello. Hi. This is Maria. Hi, Maria. How can we help you this evening? Um, Oh, I'm a little nervous. This is the first time I've called you guys. I, um, so just a little bit background on my story. My husband left, um, about a year ago, um, when our son was two months old. Um, so he had just been born, um, and when he initially left, he just stated he was unhappy. We found out three months after that, that he was actually involved and living with a female coworker of his. And, um, so, you know, I did everything you guys say not to do at first. And, um, it's been kind of interesting actually over the last couple of months within the past, I'd say two months. Um, I think I've started to see what is probably some vacillation in him. And back near the end of July, he actually came in the house one day um, to pick up our son. And uh, he basically told me how he thought I was a great mother and was doing such a great job with our son. And then also hugged me and told me that he was sorry for everything that he's done to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because he knows that I didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's just kind of a little bit of background and kind of what's been happening. And this is where maybe I, you, got, you can give me some advice from is that also since then, it seems that he seems to be making advances towards me, um, mm-hmm. wanting to be intimate. And mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's a sign of vacillation. I would think so. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, so one of the things I know I've heard, seen the, you know, you know, heard about the boundaries and I know about putting mm-hmm. those in place, but another thing that I've actually also discovered um, by looking at our phone bill um, is that he over the past couple of months has been texting ex- escort services. Oh my. Um, and I want, I, I guess I have a question about is that, do you see that common as that limerent relationship is falling? Do you find that that is sometimes common as the limerent relationship is falling apart? Mm-hmm. It happens. As a matter of fact, when I, when I teach counselors and therapists about limerence, that's one thing I point out to them that sometimes in the last stages of limerence, the person who is in limerence actually will start pursuing other people, but it's not necessarily because they're looking for an emotional connection. They just kind of go a little bonkers for a while. And so, yes, that has and often does occur when a person's coming out. And it doesn't always, but, it, but I've okay. seen it. I've seen it many times, many times when a person is coming out of phase or in the, the ending part, particularly of phase three limerence, that they wind up mm-hmm. being involved with other people. It obviously doesn't justify that. And, and indeed, if you think he has been having sex with prostitutes or escorts, eh, you need to consider that if you choose whether to be intimate with him or not. You need to think about that. 
Okay. Yes, yes, I and, understand that. Okay, and if you decide to uh, allow him to be intimate with you, you might want to go get tested afterwards just to make sure. Now, I do have an article on our website, marriagehelper.com, that helps you think through whether or not you will be intimate with him or not. Um, I can't remember the exact title of that It's article. either should I sleep with a strange spouse or should I have sex with a strange spouse? A strange okay. <laughs> Straying. Straying spouse. I misunderstood what she was saying. I thought I didn't read that They're article. all strange. Okay. If, if, uh, and so there's some principles there that you might want to think about into the pros and cons of whether you want to sleep with him or not. I'm glad he's vacillating. I'm glad he's moving back towards you. And yes, sometimes people in the third stage of limerence do that. It's terrible, but they do. Yeah, and well, one thing that I'm also confused by is that he, you know, over the period of time, he has not mentioned divorce very much, um, mm-hmm. but he actually sent me divorce papers maybe about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, because in North Carolina, it's a one-year separation period before you can file for file for divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, I refused paper service of the papers, um, which angered him and has gotten us into a further argument. Of you know, I've I've found a way now to be calm with him anytime that we're discussing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I told him my reasons for sending the papers back because. I believe that it's still possible for us to work on our marriage. I think mm-hmm. that it's the best thing for all three of us, especially mm-hmm. including our son, for us to work on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been to a lawyer, and the story, I, basically he has been paying all of the bills on our, or helping pay all the bills on our home for the last year um, mm-hmm. with no, you know, no questions asked, um, but has recently talked about, possibly um, paying less, but I've been to a lawyer and I make more money than he does. So basically he would just be obligated to pay child support for our son. Um, I don't know maybe what I should do as far as possibly, you know, dragging out the divorce process um, because, I mean, he's basically stated he does not want any of, the equity in our home. He said, you know, just keep, right. keep the house for you and our son. And, you know, I know he's like, I'm happy if you do that because of what I did. Okay. Well, obviously I cannot give you any legal advice, neither Kimberly mm-hmm. or, nor I can do that. I do suggest that uh, if your attorney is a true gladiator who will fight for you, then follow your attorney's advice on that. The fact that a divorce might take place, since he's already had you served with papers, the fact that a divorce might take place does not necessarily mean that this thing can't be worked out. We typically suggest that people drag it out if the other person is kind of coming out of limerence or even in the middle of limerence, like give some more time because limerence finally will end. Uh, But it does not necessarily mean that when limerence ends that they're necessarily going to come back to you. Uh, Yeah. Has he tried to make, does he try to be intimate with you since you were served with divorce papers? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, in yeah, that case, it might be worthwhile to drag it out. About, okay, because, yeah, we had a discussion about the papers because he, he sent me a raging text about sending the papers back to him, um, mm-hmm. which I've committed to. If we're going to have a conversation about these things, we're going to speak about these things as adults and at least Good. have a phone conversation. And we mm-hmm. had a phone conversation about it. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, he was angry that I wasn't seeing his things his way, but I decided to remain calm. And after Good. about an hour on the phone, we did get off. And he actually called me back 10 minutes later to say that he was sorry if he came across as me. Good. Good for you. Sounds like you're doing all the right things. Mm-hmm. Good for okay. you. Unfortunately... Okay. My hour's over, so I'm going to have to oh. end. But keep doing well, what you're you so doing. It, sound, it sounds to me like you're doing the right things. You stay with what you're doing, young lady. And please check out that article uh, about whether or not to, uh, to sleep with a, a straying spouse or whatever we title that on our website to help you think that through some. But keep doing what okay. you're doing because it sounds like, sounds to me like you're doing the right things, my friend. Mm-hmm. Well, okay? awesome. Thank you so much for both of your help. Have a great okay. night. 
Thank Thanks you. The same you. to you. Kimberly, we've got to wrap up pretty fast here. I'm a little over time, as a matter of fact. So what would you like to say as we close tonight? You know, I just want to keep encouraging everyone who's out there. You're fighting something that's really hard to fight, and some people don't do what you're doing. They give up, they give in, they throw in their towel. But you're doing the hard work, and you are working. You're a warrior. That's the word I always use. That's the word I always think of. Keep fighting, even when it gets hard, even when everyone's telling you to give up, even when when you sometimes feel like you should give up. Keep doing the right thing, because you're doing the right thing, even if your spouse isn't. Thank you for being part of our program. Hope to talk to you next week.